third week of Advent, actually, third week of Advent. And uh, we began two weeks ago, Ben Hine preached, and he looked at Genesis 3, the fall, the first promise of that ultimate Savior to come, who we know is Jesus Christ. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, become a man, that ultimate Savior. And we're looking at uh, what, what theologians have, for a number of uh, years, centuries, called Jesus, the offices of Jesus, uh, prophet, priest, and king. We talked last week about the fact that Jesus was that ultimate prophet declaring and being truth himself. And this week we look at the fact that he is that ultimate priest. And uh, some of the language here from the writer of Hebrews, we, we might, what exactly is going on? We'll talk about some of that. But um, in, in, the, in the midst of, we, we talked about already in our prayer time and uh, and Dan mentioned and Matt prayed about the fact that uh, here at Christmas, some of you are super excited and you love everything about Christmas, right? Uh, and, and I love the Christmas season and the decorations and the trees and uh, uh, the songs and movies and all that stuff. And some people don't really uh, like it for reasons that have been mentioned. There's, there's loss. And so that loss is, is even highlighted in the fact that everything's supposed to be joyful, Right. And so depending on where you are, you're either thinking about that, you know, two weeks from now when you take the tree down and undecorate it and box everything up is, is either something to be excited about or something to lament, right? And I, I would say that for me, um, undecorating the tree uh, and the house is much less fun than, than, than decorating. Um, and even recognizing that, that some of that is a little bit weird, decorating the yard and having a tree inside. Uh, Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, talks about the fact that uh, it, it's, it's a little bit weird, right? It's, uh, he says it's kind of like uh, the actions of a drunk man. Uh, a woman comes down, wakes up in the morning and says, hey, why, why is there a pine tree in our living room? Because um, I like it. And we're going to decorate it. I'm going to hang my socks by the fire for Jesus. Right? Like we, we do these things like there's the, there's Let's recognize, uh, often disconnect, um, and we don't always need to connect Jesus to the, the things that are going on uh, in the, the Christmas celebrations around us. It doesn't mean those things are, we have a tree in our house, and we also uh, brought a tree in and took lights out uh, and uh, decorated our yard, or at least part of it, right? Um, and, uh, and, and yet, as, as Christians, as we gather together, we, we've talked about, I've talked about this before, that this is... Uh, we're, we're focused on something very particular uh, in our celebration of Christmas. And one of the beautiful things about it is that what we're celebrating uh, is, is absolutely not limited to the Christmas season. Uh, there are some within our tradition, very, uh, in, in our theological traditions, that do not do Advent or they don't even do Easter. And, and, and I, obviously that's not true for us. But I, I, I get what is underlying in the reason they do that. It's because what they say is that what we celebrate each and every Sunday, the glory of God become man, the life that he lived, the death that he died, the resurrection that he experienced for us. That incredible news is something that we celebrate every week. It doesn't change. It's not, it's not a different message. It's not a different thing. It doesn't apply differently at Christmas time or Easter or any of the other holidays. It is something that we celebrate every single week as we gather as the people of God. And that is something to rejoice in. 
So that as we think about things changing and, and if we like Christmas season, it ending and people not then you know, talking about the spirit and of giving and all those kind of things. What, what we remember as followers of Jesus is this good news that we celebrate at this time. It doesn't end. And so as we talk about Jesus as that ultimate high priest, look at some of the words that occur through this passage. And just in these verses, which were actually a part of a larger passage, talking about Jesus as that ultimate priest, we see forever, permanently, forever, the uttermost, always, once for all, forever. That there's something that we are celebrating here that has implications always, always. And that is an incre- that should be, we should find that as an incredible encouragement. And so as we look at uh, these events that the writer of Hebrews described, uh, both past events, uh, its implications for the present and for the future, uh, we can find great encouragement. And, uh, and th- that is my hope that we find in-, in this Advent season this morning that we find great encouragement in these uh, these events that are talked about and their implications for us. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to look at the implications here of the past, the present, and the future. Let let me pray. Lord, would you meet us here in the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you reveal your truth to us? Uh, Would you encourage us uh, in our relationship with you? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point is the past. And, and, And there's a sense in which we have to understand the past in order to understand the present. What is what is the writer of Hebrews talking about here? And, and one is that the, the, we, we have to understand that the original readers of Hebrews, of this passage, uh, they would have had a very clear picture of what priesthood was, what the priest did. And a few years ago, I preached through the book of Leviticus, um, which is everybody's favorite book. Uh, but uh, all these laws and rules and regulations about how to uh, interact with God and sacrifices and temple and all those kind of things, right? Uh, well, there's a great deal of talk about the priests and their role in the book of Leviticus. And the priest came from the tribe of Levi. So uh, if, if you were born uh, of a descendant of Levi, then, then you were drawn into uh, the priesthood. The, and that's uh, who were priests. It, nobody from the other tribes were priests. And so that's a little bit confusing, maybe, for the readers of Hebrews who know that Jesus is not a Levite. He actually comes from the tribe of Judah. He descends from Judah. And so there's a contrast that's given here, but they would have understood, they would have, like, the reason that he's talking about that thing, uh, this fact that Jesus is a priest by oath, um, uh, you know, what does that mean? What's he talking about? It's this promise uh, that we find in Psalm 110, this psalm uh, that David wrote about the Savior to come. And the fact that, that God says, we find this quote here in verse 21, God says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And he's talking about the coming Savior who we know now, writer of Hebrews makes it very clear, is Jesus Christ. And so um, there, is a diff- there are many differences that are uh, being highlighted here between the Old Testament priest and Jesus, who is that great high priest. But they would have known uh, that was, would have been in their mind. So they needed some explanation, right? And we might need some explanation of why they needed the explanation. But that's, that's what's going on uh, there. They also knew the role of the priest. The priest was ultimately this one who played uh, uh, the part of, of being a bridge, essentially, between the people of God and God himself. Two weeks ago, Ben looked at Genesis 3, and 
Genesis 3 tells us the story of the fall. It tells us the story of the people uh, rebelling against God, wanting to be God themselves, wanting that power, and that it brought, brought brokenness into this world, and that that affects every single one of us. But there was a promise of salvation, of redemption that came even there in Genesis 3, verse 15, the promise of, of one to come and to fix what was broken. And, uh, and, and that problem still continues to be a problem now. Even as God is working redemption, they would have known what they needed was their sins forgiven in order that they might have relationship with God. They needed the priest to take these actions. And so the role of the priest was to offer sacrifices. One of the things he did is offered sacrifices regularly on behalf of the people so that their sins would be forgiven, so that they could enter into the presence of God. But the priest was necessary both to offer the sacrifices and then to move into the temple. And there's one day of the year where the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies held the Ark of the Covenant. And this was the, this was the representation of the presence of God. And, uh, and that once a year, the Day of Atonement, he would offer sacrifices and he would go there. And it was so that the people could have relationship with God, so that they could come into his presence. But they still couldn't come into his presence in quite the same way, right? They needed that priest, and they, didn't even, they weren't even able to experience uh, what the priest did. So when Jesus comes, and he talks about in verse 22, the fact that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, he said he's, do, he's better than the previous priests. In so many ways, he's, he's better. They were necessary to build this bridge between God uh, and them. But Jesus comes as God himself. He comes and offers relationship with himself. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God comes. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation, uh, God coming into our presence. Uh, here is God himself come into this world. And then he plays the role of the priest. I thought about the fact that um, this, this greater revelation of God, this greater connection with God is, uh, it reminded me of the fact that uh, some, some of you have met folks online and then met them later in person, right? And it's, it's better in person. I, I, I'm old enough that when we got married, I didn't really know anybody who had either gotten married or really entered into a significant relationship that met online. And I, I remember not long after we got married, learning of people that that had been uh, the case for. And it might apply to, to some of you, right? And that could be friendship or it could have been... Uh, it, a, a relationship that ended up in marriage, but you might have had this experience of meeting somebody online, and you get to know them a little bit, right? You get to experience them, and you can, you can chat. You can even FaceTime and all those things, but it's so much better in person to be able to give somebody a hug, to be able to shake their hand, to be able to sit across a table and look them in the eye. It, it's, it's completely different and completely better, right? We, we experienced a lot of this in the pandemic um, with Zoom for a lot of things. We're experiencing it now for the last four and a half months. Our son has been in Mexico. Uh, he's a senior in high school. We are super excited that we're going to be able to see him in person Friday night, 11:19 p.m. His flight gets in. Might be a few more minutes before he gets uh, uh, to where we are. But uh, it's going to be, it's way different, right? I've been super thankful that we can FaceTime and talk on the phone while he's been down there. Uh, and that's something I wouldn't have been able to do when I was in high school. But, but I'm super excited about seeing him in person, about giving him a hug, uh, about sitting across the table from him and, and being with him. It'll be 
He'll be here with us for worship next week. Super excited. It's totally different, right? It's totally better. And, and that's a picture of what we have here. What, what, what Jesus is offering is so much better. His, his real presence uh, with, uh, with his people. And so he comes by oath, a promise from God. God has put him in this position. Uh, and he, he plays the role of the priest. Um, he, he, and he does it better. Uh, we, we find that throughout this passage. We see in verse 26 and 27 that, uh, that he doesn't need to offer sacrifice for himself. So he's, he's holy and innocent, verse 26. He's unstained so that he doesn't have need, in verse 27, like the other high priest, to offer sacrifices daily, first for himself and then for uh, the sins of the people. And he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for his own sin because he's, he's perfect. He's holy. Uh, and that means that he is... Uh, he's a better high priest. Uh, he, he's also permanent. We see in verse 23 and 24, the former priests were m- many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Uh, what is, I mean, that's a weird way of, of putting it. It's not language that we would typically use, but it means uh, they die because everybody dies because the death rate is 100%. Uh, and so they die. They can't continue to be the high priest. And so then their descendant had to be. And, and that led to all kinds of mess. Not only were there issues with high priests being sinful and so actually messing up in their roles. And there's some stories that, you know, you don't really want to talk about in church about some of the, the priests. Right. They, 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 some of them were terrible. Uh, and so Jesus doesn't have that problem at all. He's, he's perfect in every way. But he's also permanent because we know at this moment Jesus has risen from the dead, and he even now sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling and interceding for us. We'll get to that in a moment. But Jesus is permanent. Uh, He always lives, verse 25. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And this sacrifice that he offered the sacrifice itself was better he's a better high priest the sacrifices that he offers is better because the, it's him it's himself it's not animals that have to be sacrificed regularly it's jesus once for all verse 27 he doesn't have the need like the other high priest to offer sacrifices because he did this once for all there at the end of the verse when he offered up himself so in all of this perfection He offered up himself. This is what we remember every Sunday as we come to the table. This once for all event that matters for us now, but it was done. It's a permanent thing. Jesus is, the Lord is not at this moment changing his mind. He's not changing the way that he's working. This is what he does. He's offered Jesus once for all. And we celebrate and rejoice in that reality. And what it brings for us is what we call theologically justification. He declares us right and righteous because of what Jesus did, because of this sacrifice, because we weren't able to do it ourselves. And and that's not even the end. I think it's helpful to remember that the role of the priest was to offer these sacrifices for forgiveness of sins. And sometimes we we end there. We think, oh, it was for the I could be forgiven and then and then God could accept me. But we still think of them as kind of far off, as austere, as judging. But what he wanted the reason he, all, he puts this, both the Old Testament uh, practices in place with the, the priests and the Levitical codes and all that was the forgiveness of sins so that he could be in relationship with them. 
We talked about when we looked at Leviticus, it was all about the Lord wanting relationship with his people. That's why he provides a way for forgiveness of sin, because his heart is for us. He wants relationship for us. So the whole incarnation, Jesus born at Christmas time, that whole celebration is about him wanting to be in relationship with us, with his people. We see this in verse 25. It's for those that we might be able to draw near to him through Jesus. It's, it's about the relationship so that we could turn to this priest. We can remember his work and we can know that it is first and foremost about being in relationship with the Lord. That he has a, a deep heart to know us. And, and, and that's in recognition that we're messed up and sinful. It's not, I want to be in relationship with you when you get it all together. If that were the case, we wouldn't have this need for a priest we would just get it together, right? That's not the story of Scripture. The story is, look, I, I see the brokenness. I see the sin. And, and even in spite of that, I want relationship with you. And I will meet you in all of your brokenness. That's what we find here, that this priest that we can turn to, this God that we can turn to in relationship. That's because of this past work, right? We understand the past work of Jesus. Uh, it was certainly newer than the old way of doing things, the Old Testament, the Levitical code and all of those things. But even when Jesus came, that, that for us is now way in the past. And even if we're followers of, of Jesus, those of us who are followers of Jesus, um, we turn to him at some point in the past. And, and if you haven't turned to Jesus, there's an encouragement to look to him for forgiveness of sins, to look to him in order that you might have relationship with the creator. There's, a, there's constantly through scripture, Hear the invitation to come, to confess, to turn to him. And then when you do, that's something that happened in the past. And it has implications now. So I've moved now from uh, the first point about the past. And now what are the implications in the present, right? Why does it, how does it matter now? Oftentimes, we are so focused on the past that we don't think about what's going on in the moment now. And that might be just in life in general, we're focused on our sin and brokenness, things that we've done that we think can't be forgiven or fixed. And the promises again and again, they can be forgiven. We can turn to him. We, we can repent. We can be changed. Uh, we can become more like Jesus. All of those things are true, no matter what our past held. But if we're, if we're trusting even in that justification, that work that he did to offer us forgiveness of sin, sometimes we think about it. And we're really just focused on the justification and its impact now in the present. And that is absolutely appropriate. That matters. Recognizing that we are right now seen as righteous and just in the eyes of our Father, in the eyes of our Creator. That matters here and now. And it's right to think about that. But we, the part that we fail to recognize about what's going on in the present is is what Jesus is doing now. We think about what Jesus has done in the past, and we celebrate that. We celebrate that actually every single week and say that it has implications for us now as we eat the bread and drink the wine. But there's another thing that Jesus does. There are a lot of things he does, but he's, he is at work right now. That's what we find in verse 25. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Here's this picture of the risen Lord 
Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, he is there right now interceding for you and for me. He is right now caring about what is going on in our lives. Right now, Jesus Christ is interceding for you and for me. That's what's happening in the present. It's not just something that he did in the past and then he's this austere God who is is thinking about what we're doing, making sure that we're getting it right. Are we living up to what he did for us? No, he, he knows that there is brokenness still in this world, in our hearts and in our lives, so that he intercedes for us now. We celebrate at Christmas, Jesus come to earth. But he came to earth, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and he now sits at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us at this very moment. So as we celebrate the incarnation, it's just the first step along the way. And sometimes we talk about the fact that, you know, Jesus born in the manger, this beautiful picture, this cute story leads to death, leads to a horrible, excruciating death on the cross, right? But that death then leads to resurrection and that resurrection leads to the ascension and that ascension leads to a God who is caring deeply about us and our relationship with him. He came near to us so that we could come near to him and that we could stay there, so that we could continue to be near to him. This idea of him interceding for us even now, even at this moment, is one that, that I, I don't think about enough. But this work that he's doing, this present manifestation of his heart for his people It's his constant interceding on their behalf. This is a a quote from uh, Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly. And let me just say, I I actually meant to bring them. I have a a copy for every family of Gentle and Lowly. I'll bring them next week. Um, uh, So I I recommend this book highly, um, but don't go out and buy it. We'll have one for you. Uh, But I left the box at home. So... uh, The present manifestation of his heart for his people is his constant interceding on our behalf. That is, his heart for us is one of, it's primarily a posture of love and care. His his heart is gentle and lowly toward us. And his intercession is this moment-by-moment application of the justification, so that the justification, the work that he did in the past, it didn't stop there. He continues to work for us now, meeting us, recognizing again our brokenness and our mess, recognizing that we have ongoing struggle with sin, that we're not just going to fix our lives when we realize what Christmas is all about or when we trust in him. Recognizes that there's there's issues in our hearts. Here's a second quote um, from Gentle and Lowly. God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch His intercession reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places we're most ashamed and most defeated, those places where we're most ashamed and most defeated. There's incredible encouragement here that he is working at this moment for you and for me. And that's not even talking about the reality of the Holy Spirit here present in our lives and in our hearts at work in this moment. And and yeah, it does come and it it flows out of work that happened in the past, but God is working for us now. The the, the God of the universe is essentially praying for us. I I don't know if you've had somebody 
uh, tell you, uh, and maybe even with regularity telling you that they're praying for you, the encouragement that comes from that. Uh, I, I remember uh, when I got really sick in college, and most of you know that story, uh, but the, the stories that people would tell about praying for me, I mean, actually for years after, I would, I would meet people and say, oh, oh yeah, we, we were praying for you, and the encouragement that that was, the encouragement that that was for my, my parents. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you've had probably multiple people in here have had Gary and Carol Boring tell you that they're praying for you. And uh, if you have, it's incredibly uh, encouraging. Uh, it's uplifting. It, it, it gives you hope in, in your life, right? It's because we believe that people are caring for us and that prayer is powerful and that it works. And what we have here is this picture of God himself praying for us, caring for us. Even when our own prayer life is lacking, he is interceding for us. And we find some of this idea in Romans 8 where we're told that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans, uh, with groanings that we can't understand because we don't know how to pray for ourselves. That's another picture of God at work in this moment right now because he has a deep heart for us. And that does then encourage us to move forward with confidence and faith, with hope that we're cared for by Jesus that he cares for us deeply, that he wants this relationship with us, that he's not, again, just this aloof God, this judging God, this austere God. He cares deeply about us. And yeah, he cares absolutely about the way we live, and he's going to help us in sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. But, but he starts at this place of love and care that he wants relationship. And, and then we, we get to this last point of the future, because Again, to go back to the beginning, what we celebrate at Christmas, it matters when Christmas is over. Every single day it has implications for our lives, for the rest of our lives, and actually for the rest of time. Again, those words permanent, forever, multiple times here. The work that was started with, his just, with justification of us, it continues through his intercession, and it's going to go on to glorification when he makes all things right. He's, he's, he's going to continue this work. It's God's plan. It won't change. Verse 21, is, is there's that promise from Psalm 110 uh, of God's oath given to, to put Jesus in this position. The Lord has sworn, sworn and will not change his mind. He, he's worked in a different way in the Old Testament, still through grace, still through covenant with his people. But this is a, a better covenant, verse 22. And... This is the way that it's going to continue until the very end. This is the way that he works. Permanent. It is permanent. It is to the uttermost. He saves to the uttermost. This, this, this word, the uttermost, uh, his salvation being to the uttermost, there's, uh, it can be used either as to the uttermost in time, to the very end of time, or it could be to the uttermost, like the, all of salvation. There's nothing left lacking. And it's not clear which way it's being used. And I think the reason that it's not clear which way it's being used is because it's actually both. It's, it's salvation to the uttermost. He covers every sin, every broke, every, he meets every need. But then it's also true that it's going to happen till the end of time. There's this incredible confidence of God's work in our lives to the end. And so we trust in him and his promises and they are certain and sure to the uttermost, to the end of time. And, and it's not we, we trust him uh, and think, okay, now i got to get it together. It's we trust him because he meets us even when we don't get it together. And that happens 
continually, we don't. And so it allows us to move forward in confidence, to move forward in our lives with confidence that we are loved and cared for, that that is God's primary position toward us. I, I think about, um, I, I talked a little bit last week, and I just hear more and more about these stories of deconstruction, people deconstructing their experiences or their faith or whatever it might be. And, and so often uh, part of the story is that, that folks don't hear that story that God starts with love and care for us. Oftentimes those stories come out of a, a church that has preached legalism. These are the things you have to do in order for, for God to love you. But we have to recognize we're, we're not going to be able to do all those things. We're going to fail. We're going to be able to grow in them, sure, but we're, we're not going to uh, ever be perfected. The law and following the law, it, 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 is, uh, it, it lets us down. It, it's useless, in fact, is what we find in verse 18. Our attempt to follow the law, even the law laid out by God, the good and right law, if, if that's our goal, if that's how we seek to justify ourselves, it's useless. And, and yet we, we're tempted to go in that direction because we can get our minds around it. If I check off this list, if I do these things, then I'll essentially, we think, justify myself. If I enter into these particular relationships, if these people care for me, if I am this successful in my job, if things go this way in my life, if I get into this school or get these grades, then I will justify myself. I'll justify my existence. I'll justify uh, the way that I live. All these things, right? And, and what we find here is actually not just the law, but anything we try to use to justify ourselves, it is useless. It will fail us. But when we look to Jesus, we find one who wants to draw us up into his arms to embrace us and love us and care for us and to give us hope. Let's pray.